This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, good evening and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Argyle Life podcast. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher, so please follow and subscribe on those platforms to keep up to date with new episodes. With us this week to discuss the latest on all things Argyle, we have Adam Price, Hello, Tom Sleeman, Hello, and Sam Down. Hello. Um, If you haven't seen already... Uh, we did a Christmas special that was released last week. We had some technical difficulties, um, so it came out quite late. But it should be available in your podcast feed if you look back, if you want to have a listen to that. Otherwise, this week we're going to be discussing the Christmas period. That was those four games, Accrington, Wimbledon, Burton and Oxford. And I don't know if, Adam, you want to lead us off? Sure. I mean, it was... A mixed bag. I I know there's a few themes we can consider from the four games, but obviously when you look at Accrington and when you look at Oxford, there's a lot of change in amongst that period, and eventually for the better, we have to say. I think one thing I want to say straight off the bat is that for the last couple of games, Ruben Lemiris has been starting, and lo and behold, he scored and looked a threat in both of those games. An encouraging sign. We're getting closer and closer to our best team, and that team has Ruben Lemiris in it. At the other end of the scale, you know, a lot of it has been... A lot of what we've gained, sorry, has been based on luck. If we look at the Oxford game, for instance, the first goal is a very fortunate deflection into the path of Sarsovic. The second goal is a complete defensive mishap that allows Ladapo the simplest of assists to Lemiras. I think if we look at the Burton game itself, it's a very dodgy goal that got us, got us a point there. That being said, it works the other way as well. We saw against Wimbledon that it was simply a, an error from Jan Songa that led to defeat. With better fortune, we could easily have got to the seven-point mark. With worse fortune, we could easily be desperately struggling with one or two points from that period. So, yeah. But Adam, you you sort of swayed two and forth there. Were we lucky or weren't we lucky? We, well, well, as I say, it was was two and four because it was a mixed bag. I mean, there were, if we, the luck kind of evened itself out, in my view anyway. I think there were games where we were unfortunate and games we were fortunate. The fact is, we've got to our four points as a result of some some moments going against us, some moments for us. I'd like us not to go into games feeling like, OK, it's going to be a lottery, I wonder if we'll have the luck today. I'd like to go into games thinking, OK, we've got a chance today if we play to our best and not have to rely on any element of fortune going for or against us. 
Um, well, I'm obviously, I, 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 I will completely admit I've not seen all the games. I have seen the extended highlights of all of them, and I know pretty much roughly what happened in all of them. Um, what I will say, the game I saw in full, uh, and I was actually out, was the Accrington game. And I think that was pretty much a bit of a microcism of most of the home games since October sort of time, in the sense that, did I come away from it thinking, oh my God, that was an absolutely terrible performance? No, I didn't. We lost 3-0 to Accrington, you know, so it's a little bit of a bad feeling in the air, but... We, in terms of how we played, we did create some chances. We did have a little bit of the play, but they weren't what you'd call clear, many clear-cut chances. There was one very clear-cut chance. I think at the start of the second half, I think Jeff Cott should have put that one away. That wasn't nil-nil. Really should have scored, but didn't. Um, and Are you just happened, talking about Argyle clear-cut chances or both sides? Oh, no, Argyle. Argyle didn't have many clear-cut. But with regard to Argyle, we, we created quite a lot. Didn't create that much of high quality. The Jeff Cott was the one really high-quality chance that we did create. I think from what I gather, it was pretty much a similar story in the other games. The Oxford game, the third goal was pretty well created, but the first two were... Um, the first two were uh, well, well, created, well created by one player, but the first two were kind of had, had a what's with an element of chance to them. Um, Oh, but then defensively, we have been kind of as leaky as ever. Accrington, we conceded three, and there were two one on ones on top of that. So, you know, although I said we had some chances going forward, Accrington did deserve to win the game. You can't argue that. And then in the Oxford and Burton games, okay, we got four points, but I think Brown, it was, missed a very good chance for Oxford at 1 0. And Burton, they had two very, very strong chances at the start of the second half. Okay, you know, I, I, Leveron, he's kept one clean sheet and only conceded one in the Burton game. Too early to say whether he's a better option than Mason. It's quite a small sample size. I have the feeling he might be due to his better communication. That's my gut feeling. But, yeah, but where, sorry, where, I'm not letting the slide. Where is the proof of the better communication? It, last season in games I saw, he seems to shout to his defence a lot more than what Mason does. I've not seen that admittedly in these two games specifically, but I think that could be could well be a trend. You, you, okay, this is what... So, Communication is something that people... It's very hard to determine. A, if they're communicating or just you know shouting each other. Or B, if they're... Um, if what they're saying is even worth it. I mean, what's the point in shouting if you're... You know, if nothing's coming across? But I'll point you to... I think it's four moments over the two games he played that say to me, no, not really communicating at all. Mm. Third minute away to Burton. Sarsovic clears a corner under no pressure. Leatherman comes for it, but clearly doesn't call for it because Sarsovic just clears it... You know, there's no pressure, and there's a good sizable period of time which he could have left it for Leatherman, but mm-hmm. Leatherman doesn't. Leatherman appear, appears to not call for it, and Sarsovic obviously just kicks it away. Uh, 82nd minute, actually, Leatherman comes flying out of goal for no reason. Canavan's about to pass it back to him, and then he scuffs the clearance away anyway. When you know he could have just he could have communicated to Canavan, who appears to not be aware that he's coming out, mm. or just, you know, communicated with him, and then Canavan tells him, no, stay on your line, and I will pass it back to you. In fact, 37th minute. Is the 37th minute? Um, yeah, against Burton again. Leatherman comes out to the corner of the box, right? Smith-Brown was, you know, fine and covering him perfectly well, but Leatherman comes out, doesn't get there, the ball gets chipped over him, but rolls wide. Um, there were three, uh, to be honest, I won't list the rest of them, but there are three instances in the Oxford game in which he came out when he didn't have to, the seems to have not communicated it with the defence, and almost gets caught out. Twice he shanked it, uh, he managed to kick it, and mm. it went out of play, and then we also have the last minute, what was it, the 91st minute, where he runs out of his goal, 
for no reason. Sawyer's going to head it back to him, but he hasn't communicated that he's coming out. And Leatherin then spills an easy catch and almost rolls into the back of the net. I think that we need to look elsewhere. I mean, I feel that Macy did well to begin with. You think with, another keeper altogether? I think another keeper altogether. I mean, I feel Macy started out well and he, he suffered a bit of inform. And at the same time, I don't think Leatherin's any kind of long term solution for us. I mean, he's a good backup goalkeeper, don't get me wrong, but he's not the kind of goalkeeper they want to have whilst we're, in a, whilst we're a League One club. Do you think he pushes Macy to improve? I, I don't think so, really. I mean, like I say, Leatherin's a good backup goalkeeper, but he's not a realistic first choice for us in the in the long run. If we're going to get someone, we need to get someone either in on loan from another club, maybe even Matthews. But I feel like long term, we need to be looking at better options than Leatherin. You said that you think he's a good backup keeper. Can you be a good backup keeper if you can't step into the first team? Well, obviously there is that debate. I mean, if he's obviously a cheap option for us, mm. um, a bit like um, Bittner in League Two, like that, he can step in for the odd game, but he's not the realistic. We're not realistically good enough to step in and play sort of a dozen games if someone does get injured. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So, 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 what are you saying? Do you think that? Do you think your backup keeper, assuming you can afford it, has to be able to step into the first team? I think he should be able to. I mean, there should be, obviously be a gap where we've got two goalkeepers who are challenging each other and then, say, Cooper, who's a younger player in the academy who's trying to push through, albeit via a few loan spells, perhaps, here and there. I'm going to bring Sam back into it. Do you think Cooper should be the backup keeper? Uh, no. No, I don't. Be honest with you, I think Lever and I think I, I look a lot. I look, I like Cooper. I, whenever I've seen him play in the FA Youth Cup, I think he's got real huge potential. Um, very commanding for such a you know a young age. He's a good talker. He's a good distributor. He's a great shot stopper. Whether he's better than Leverin at the moment, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I know that it's quite a unfashionable view, and I said I admittedly I've not seen all of the incidents Nick points out. I think last season when he played, Leverin was pretty good. I think his, his kicking was not as bad as. People might say, I think his shot stopping was very good. I think, although Nick has pointed out some valid examples in the Burton and Oxford game when it wasn't so good this season, I think even last season his, his command of area wasn't all that bad. So I think with Cooper, really, what you want to do? Do you is want get to guess how many crosses Leatherin came for in the past two games? Oh, you're gonna, probably going to be set like zero, probably. Isn't it? You're going to say or one? He, he came and attacked one. One, okay. He punched it. It went right up in the air and landed eight yards from goal. Unfortunately for him, Ryan Taylor was there to clear it. Okay, that you... was in the uh, 79th minute. I've got it written down somewhere, but people don't care necessarily about that. His command of his area was very poor. There were four occasions I noted in which he should or could have come for a cross and just stayed on his line. And he was bailed out by Edwards for one. that You, you might not have seen it, but Edwards made a terrific header under his own crossbar to clear away with Nelson, I think it's Nelson in behind him, virtually guaranteed to score. It might have been Marcus Brown, I can't remember off the top of my head. But that was a ball across the six-yard box. It wasn't played with too much pace, and Leatherman's on his line. He's not even looking to come for it. Leatherman's mm. command for Zeri was poor. We saw that against Swindon as well, don't forget. And, and I can't really recall him ever having a good commanding presence last season. What he did well last season was his shot-stopping. That was where he excelled more than anything. He had lots of shots to save. He was playing behind quite poor defence. And that's where he um, he excelled. That's where he looked good. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably won't have the exact same stats to hand, but I certainly feel, I remember him coming for crosses a lot more and a lot to a lot greater effect um, last season. Not necessarily more than the keepers who are really good at it. Like, not more than Matthews or even necessarily, necessarily as much as Macy. But just, he wasn't... It wasn't like when Joe Cole was at his very worst, or maybe Bittner or, or kind of Chris. Joe Cole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Jake Cole. Jake. Yeah. It, how did that one come out? It wasn't when um, Jake Cole was at his very worst, starting in his early days, or when maybe Walton was on loan or Bittner was on. Uh, Bittner was there in the, the odd game or two he played. Those were keepers who were very, very scared to come off their yeah, line. No, but at least, at least, at least Cole would come out though. He may have punched everything, but at least he came out and dealt with it. In his, in his second and third season, sure, I'm talking about the very early days, he was a bit more shaky, wasn't he? Well, he was playing behind well, probably yeah, the worst defence I've ever seen. Probably the worst defence of all time that we've had, yeah, that's true. But um, anyway, the, the point is, though, I don't think Leverin last season was one of those keepers who was absolutely rooted to his line at all. So do you think that, therefore, where do you stand on Tom's point that Leverin could be a backup, but he's not good enough to start? Should he be? Are you do you think he should stay as backup? Um, Let's say hypothetically it's the end of the season. Are you looking to keep him? I I don't know how much wages he's on. If we could get get better as backup, then obviously, I mean, Cooper's at the stage now where next season I'd want him to be either out on loan or our second choice because you know he's he's going to be twenty next season, so he's not you know very very young kid anymore. Obviously, he's still young for a keeper, but he's not like he's just coming through seventeen anymore. I'd want to phase him in a little bit more now. So I probably would would want Cooper to be one or the other. Lever and I'm I'm open minded too. I don't I certainly I don't think I'd have no worries about him coming into the team for a prolonged spell. I wouldn't know. I really wouldn't. Does Leatheran as backup help or does Leatheran behind the first choice keeper help I'll ask this one to Adam as well. Does Leatheran behind the first choice keeper help Cooper's progression? You know, being someone who's not insurmountable, who he can compete with for the backup keeper role. Yeah, I think so. If we had say two like when in in sort of um, the the example I used when we had two very good keepers for the level competing with each other was the thirteen fourteen season in in League Two because that was after Cole had come on hugely to become a much better all rounder and McCormick was obviously an absolutely fantastic keeper for that level at that time so I think at that time when we had Cole and McCormick you know if you'd had someone like Cooper coming through there you'd have thought oh well I'm never going to boot these two out whereas with Leveran. I rate him maybe more highly than most people do, but I would agree he's certainly not of that McCormick and Cole state where he's unsurmountable. So yeah, it's a good question. I think that I think that would help Cooper quite a lot. I think my point would be a more general look at a backup goalkeeper as to what you'd want him to achieve. Now, he's obviously going to be further down your list of priorities. And particularly when you're working on a budget, you may want to, you know, skimp out on a backup goalkeeper, just get somebody you can. And I think that's what Adams has done in keeping Leather in, in that role. He's Clearly not, to my mind at least, a League One standard goalkeeper. So, therefore, he would only be an emergency use. What does that mean for the other goalkeepers? For Macy, it's very easy for him to become complacent. And I think we may have seen that. Macy knows that the only reason he's going to be out of the team is injury. He can drop his form, he can parry shots straight back into the middle, as we've seen in the past. But he knows he's going to keep his place because of the backup's Kyle Leatherham. Now... On the other hand, you've got Cooper there. Now, he could well challenge Leatheran for that backup keeper post. But my question would be, why, why wouldn't that have happened already? If Cooper is in such a position where he could be challenging, you may as well have him in that backup position and not have Leatheran around. One, because you save wages. And two, because you've got a young player in the matchday squad. So I think it has the potential 
to help Cooper, the fact that he's got somebody he knows he can challenge on the bench. But well, I don't know, if I was him, I'd be slightly demoralised that I've not challenged him to a greater extent already. And indeed, if I had, I'd have been in the first team squad and playing for the last couple of matches. And who knows what Cooper could have done if he'd played in the first two matches there. If he'd impressed... I'm going to raise it. No, go on. i quickly raise the counterpoint. On the other hand, whilst I do see that point of view, and yes, it's not a very competitive game, Cooper was pretty poor in the, in the checker trade game he had. Well, he wasn't... He had a couple of bad moments. Uh, in in particular, it was crosses. Crosses were his issue. First goal, he came and missed it, and that's very similar to a Premier League Cup game. I think it was against. I think it was against Derby. He came, he missed it, and from a few observations I've made, I've noted that I think dealing with crosses from set pieces was an issue. But then his other mistake was also from a. Um, uh, from a cross, but an open play cross. That was something I hadn't spotted before, so I'm not sure if it's crossing as a trend, whereas it, if it's crossing from set pieces and that was just a one-off, mm. or possibly there are even wider areas that obviously we don't know because we haven't seen much of him yet. Yeah, could be. I mean, I, I've never really noticed that in the in the youth games or in the Blackburn game, but I suppose you wouldn't really because it's, it's such a small sample size and in the Blackburn game, and obviously the youth games are, are a lot Well, how many crosses policy. did he come for against Blackburn? You tell me. I'm sure you've got it right in the hand there, haven't you? Oh, no, I don't. I don't have it written down. <laughs> no, I, mean, um, I, I don't. I, I can't recall him coming for a cross against Blackburn. Maybe he came for. Oh, one he, or came, two, he came for a couple. Can't imagine he that came, many. Oh, he definitely came for a couple. I mean, he did, but that's what, I've said, but that's what I just said. It is a very small sample size, so it's not a lot to go on. So maybe you're right. But um, well, I guess you know what I'm doing after this, don't you, Sam? Looking at his stats for the Blackburn <laughs> game. Yeah, I'm watching the Blackburn game. Okay. Back to, definitely for a couple is the line. Uh, you know, Let's move you know I, I hope all the listeners here realise that if you did less than this, you might get the podcast out a bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, look, Carry on. Sorry. Shut up, you. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's move away. Let's ask a different question. This is a question that you might, that Adam and Sam in particular might struggle to answer. What has happened to Lodapo? Because while we all agree that we don't see him in our first team as our best you know, in the best team, mm. you know, he's not even getting in goal-scoring positions that well anymore. You know, there's definitely been a drop off in the number of quality positions he's getting in. He's not the only one suffering, but when he was our principal source of goals, and now you're looking at over Christmas, that I'd say the best chance we created was that Jeff got chance. Other than that, what David Fox scored a screamer from forty yards. That's not going to come along very often. No. We scored, well, I'd say, three lucky goals. Lemiris's shot against Burton should have been saved. It went right at him, he got a big touch on it and let it roll in. Like if that had been against us, we'd be looking at Macy or Leatherin saying, that's an error. Mm. We've got the goal against Oxford, big deflection. Um, they're not going to come, you know, it's not going to come along too often that a ball loops up to a player six yards from goal with the keeper on his backside. Mm. And then we've got Oxford passing the ball away to us for a quite, is well taken by Lemiris, but a quite simple third. And then after that, you've got Lemiris's goal from outside the box. So we're not really looking at any good chances created, bar the Jeffcott chance. And the other one I've just remembered is that Lemiris chance that he skied against Accrington at, what, 2 0 down? Yes, yeah. So, with that in mind, but in particular, focus on Ladapo, what, what's happened to Ladapo? Um, I would. It's, I'm putting it sim- in simplistic terms here. I know there's a lot more to it, but. I think we might want to look at the idea that it's a crisis of confidence and he's a confidence player more than anything else. And I don't mean that as a standard, oh, when he's confident he scores goals, when he's not confident he doesn't. 
But when he's in form, you get him making those runs. You get him getting in those goal-scoring positions and a team with a team set up to build chances for him. He's, you know, he, you'd find him in those positions. And when he scores goals, I perhaps think that he knows that works. And he's like, okay, I'll make that sort of run again. I'll make that sort of run again. Oh, I'll do this this time. I'll mix it up because, you know, it's worked for him in the past. So he'll continue with it. When he's perhaps not had it go his way, he's, his struggles are in the sense that, okay, I must be doing something wrong. Let's try something else. And in that sense, it's just the something else has, doesn't work for him. The whole team is built around creating chances for Ladapo in those positions. And if he's not getting in those positions, you know, the whole attack can be a blunt force. So, so hold on, hold on. How, how Can you explain in more detail how his lack of confidence is meaning that you think he's not in better... Are you saying he's not getting in the positions or he's not finishing them? I, don't, I think he's not getting in the positions as well. I mean, that might be perhaps so, looking at the entire why is Why do you think his confidence is... You know, causing that rather than say something rather than the way his team given the ball. I would suggest, and I'm you know, I may just be speculating here that as things haven't worked for him, his entire makeup is of course in scoring goals. With him not scoring goals, he may perhaps be thinking, okay, that's not worked for me this time. I'm doing something wrong. I need to change things. And I mean, for all his flaws, the thing that Ladapo did well in his good period was scoring goals. And if Ladapo's changing the way he operates in attack as a result of perhaps having one or two games that haven't gone in his favour, then he struggles and as a result we get no goals out of him and it's really just like having a passenger every game. I think with Ladapo like, sort of looking forward, I feel like it could possibly continue. I feel that sort of with Lemiris in the side, Lemiris is a slightly more selfish player than, say, Joel Grant and he's going to try and run, run and create things himself. Whereas obviously with Joel Grant, he's slightly less selfish player. He's going to get the ball into Ladapo and create chances. Lemiris is more the kind of player who's going to be able to make a run and sort of create something for himself rather than sort of other players. I know he's got a few assists this season, but I mean, we saw his goal against Oxford. He just drove straight in and got the chance for himself. I think that with that... He's only got thing... one assist this season. Sorry, sorry, Tom, to get you off. I was going to say there's only one assist and that was the... For Joel Grant against Luton, which was hardly an assist. Um, well, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more sort of last season. He had, he had quite a few oh, assists last season, and I feel like this season, with the lack of Taylor playing at the same time as Lemiris, Lemiris is sort of being a, a slightly more selfish in terms of trying to create chances for himself rather than others, perhaps. Um, so is that really Lemiris that he had one assist all season? Did he just say? The only one assist this season uh, um, against Luton, and that was. I think yeah, yeah, it was hardly an assist. It was a pass yeah. to Joel Grant. I mean, I... He's only created fourteen chances, which is not so many considering how many should have gone. I suppose what I would say to that is it's partly the fact he's played a lot less uh, for sure. Only created fourteen chances. Partly maybe the players around him aren't aren't moving quite as well without having the same team cohesion. But what about Ladapo? So Ladapo, I mean, he, I mean, he's only had one assist all season as well, hasn't he? For Joel Grant against Bradford. No, but we're discussing what's happened to Ladapo. Goal scoring. Yeah, I know. We just moved on to the assist, didn't we? Okay, um, like Ladapo goal scoring. Again, I haven't seen the games in And Ladapo has four assists. I, I wonder if he's been listening to you two closely, Nick. I wonder if he... Or, you know, I want, not that obviously I'm kind of joking, but I wonder if maybe one of the criticisms he's had is that you don't do enough link-up play, you don't do enough trying to win headers, you don't come deep enough. And maybe if by doing that a little bit more, he isn't running into good space going forward could that be a reason do you think so my take on it is um is if you look at his good run mm. it coincided with two goals against Burton 
two goals against Gillingham, goal against Scunthorpe, uh, and those two goals against uh, Fleetwood. Generally, I, I look at it, the series of chances he had, I suppose you stretch even further back, it's probably about Barnsley, the 1-1 draw, oh. up to Shrewsbury. That That is the mark of... You know, Ladapo's good run of form. When, regardless of um, the finishing, he was getting chances. He had surely, the one on one. Surely you'd include Wimbledon. Bradford, by the way, Shrewsbury. You go as far as Well, no, because those were no, but the, those were two goals from set pieces. You know, the it's a good Grant move from the set, set piece. piece was it? Oh, sorry, that was the assist he made for Joel Grant. Yeah, carry on. So, so in terms of you know good quality goal scoring chances that Ladapo had, I'm looking at probably from I'm looking at Barnsley to Shrewsbury mm. in that run, and one common thread throughout that run. Um, was was Jamie Ness, but not just Jamie Ness, but the way that Ness helps Fox in defensive mid. And you know, Ness's was more energy. I still don't think it's the right formation to play with Ness and Fox in defensive mid and Sarsovich in attacking mid. But I think since Ness has been taken out of that, Argyle have struggled because he's probably the most the player best suited to play in that position. And since we've seen Sarsovich and Songo play there in the main, and it really hasn't worked. And if you look at Ladapo's passes, you know, around that time, around that run where you have Ness in, you know, he's 19 successful, 16 successful, 16, 15, 18, um, 12 and 12 were the lowest, right? Mm. You then look at, you know, his most recent run, and I'll give you this as a stat. Over Christmas, Ashley Smith-Brown made more successful passes against Accrington than Ladapo did over that entire four-game spell. Ladapo only made, completed 40 passes. I think what's happened, most of all, is that Argyle are exerting even even less midfield control. It's one thing to have Fox in there. It's another to have Fox in there alongside someone else who can't really play that position. Argyle have got less midfield control, so we're playing even deeper. You're looking at the positions where the midfielders are picking up. They're not they're not picking up in especially good positions. You've got Sarsvich when he gets the ball. You know, from centre attack mid, he generally finds himself running backwards instead of playing centre mid, facing forwards, and carrying it forwards. Mm. I think there's a series of factors that are meaning that Ladapo is now feeding off half chances and scraps, and you know his his chances in recent games have basically been from set pieces. Unless someone else wants to get a final word in, should we move on now to the quiz? Yeah, I'm, I think we're yeah. about ready to ready to ready to wrap up. Okay, so Tom, you're up, fresh off your. Quite poor, let's say it. You're quite poor effort <laughs> in the Christmas quiz. Didn't go especially well, did it? No, it didn't. It was it was pretty tragic. Um, so obviously each week, uh, one of our panel will take a turn at answering questions. Uh, Tom, you have to pick from categories. You got two options. You can either choose season or opposition. Which would you like? I'll go with season. Right. So you got ten questions, including a bonus point question. Maximum of eleven points. Are you ready? I'm ready. Your season is 2009-2010. Okay. Cue the music. When Argyle were relegated at home to Newcastle, what music did they play over the sound system? Honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> I do. We are the champions. <laughs> Newcastle won the league. Who scored the most goals throughout the season? Um, Jimmy Mackey. Correct. What mistake did David Stockdale make in a 4-3 defeat to Sheffield United? Gave away a penalty? Incorrect. There was an attacker behind him. Richard who took Creswell, the ball wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Richard Creswell stood behind him. Yeah. Bonus point question. Name the only players to score in back-to-back games. 
Fletcher and Mackie. Carl Fletcher, correct. Rory Fallon was the other. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips finally broke into the team in the final 12 games of the season. How many goals did he score in that time? Uh, five. Incorrect. Four. True or false? Alan Judge was the only player to score twice in a single game. True. Correct. Which player scored the winner on Boxing Day away to Cardiff City? Fallon. Incorrect, and I'm pretty certain this came off in the Christmas quiz. Gary Sawyer. After losing to Peterborough on the last day of the season, what was Argyle's final league position? Uh, bottom. Incorrect, 23rd. Argyle and Newcastle played four times across the season. What was the aggregate score? And to which team? 10-2 to Newcastle. Incorrect, 8-1. Finally, which Loney scored the opening goal for Blackpool against Argyle? Marcel Saint? Correct. So, with that four out of 11, I believe that puts you second overall. I think Sam's running away with it at the top. Tom must be second on nine, think it's Adam on eight, and Josh is last and probably still complaining about the chances created question on seven. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, looking ahead to Saturday, Tom's our opposition analyst. What can you tell us about Southend? Uh, looking at Southend, I thought it was qu- they were quite interesting. They're a bit different to the teams I've sort of analysed so far. I found that sort of um, both in defence and attack, they sort of they sort of hunt in packs almost. So when they're quite hard on ball retention, so when they lose the ball, they're quite they're very quickly to get it back. I think it was the third goal they scored against. Um, Accrington a few weeks ago, it was uh, Thea um, Robinson eventually scored the goal, but it was uh, Diang and Simon Cox that both pressed both their players very quickly, got the ball straight into Thea Robinson, who was able to straight, go straight through and slot it in. So I thought it was quite interesting that compared to a lot of other sides, they're very quick to get around the ball and sort of like and sort of get it back, keep keep pressing. It also a bit like Liverpool kind of. How's that going to impact Dargal? Uh, obviously, with sort with players like, well, it's easy to pick up, but sort of Jan Songo, who often who often seems to dither on the ball a little bit, they're going to be quick to close him down. They're going to find that little pocket in in the final third between the midfield and the defence, and that's where Argyle could eventually be punished. Okay, with that in mind, then uh, let's go for predictions. Uh, I'll tell you, we'll go for Tom first. Tom, your prediction for the weekend? Two one Argyle. Sam. I'm not very optimistic, really. I'm looking at. I think the Oxford game was a good win, but it's papered over the cracks a little bit. I don't think the structural issues have been solved, so I think we shall lose two-one. Adam, I'm a bit fearful of the fact that, as Sam said, we won the games. So we'll immediately, I'm sure, play as close to the same team as possible. Which, from what Tom said, I do not think will be good in this game. So, not confident. I can only see us losing two-nil. I'm normally not one for patterns, but I think over must be the last 12, 13, 14 games. South end of one lost, one lost, one lost, one lost, blah, blah, blah. They lost their midweek game against Pompey. And I'm not going to say that makes it, that's going to guarantee their victory. I think there's other reasons why Argyle will lose. Not least because their pitch is usually pretty shoddy around this time of year. Um, I'm going to go for 3-1 South end, I think. But 
that's it. That's our show. So thank you all so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the channel on Spotify, iTunes or Stitcher to keep up with all the latest episodes of Green and White and get in touch with us if you have any feedback, ideas or suggestions. Thank you all very much for listening and from all of us, good night. Cheers. Good night. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five year warranty. And with a bench full of all star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.